I don't see a distinction between making things with your hands and making things with technology. I see it as exactly the same thing. Welcome to Kids Lab, a podcast for parents, educators, and everybody interested in STEAM education. On this show, we're talking to Ross Atkin, the creator of both the Crafty Robots and the Smarty Bot. The one I have at home and can therefore totally speak about is the Smarty Bot, which is anyway the latest creation. In short, the Smarty Bot is a cardboard robot that can be controlled via your smartphone. You can even use the smartphone as a brain of the robot and make it chase people, animals and vehicles using artificial intelligence. One very cool feature that you don't often find in other robots, the parts of the Smarty Bot can be reused to build proper robots out of almost anything. So here's some background information about Ross Atkin. So he's a designer and engineer based in London, and he's the creator of the Crafty Robots and the Smarty Bot. What's really special about this Smarty Bot is that you first start building the robot itself. So when you open the package, you'll find a few cardboard templates, three in total, and you decide which one you want to build. The one I built is the unicorn, a two-wheeled robot with a unicorn-shaped paper element around the head. Everything that you need is included, except I believe the batteries, but you really are ready to go with just the box and the batteries. So besides using one of the cardboard templates, you can use your endless creativity to build a robot out of whatever you can think of. For example, there are examples of pineapple robots or potato robots up on the SmartyBot website. So quick reminder, all the links and mentions, of course, will be in the show notes, and that's at kidslab.dev. So once a robot has been built, which involves the paper craft and connecting some motors and cables to the SmartyBot board, you're ready to start your coding journey together with your kids or with your class. So I'm a technical guy and I don't want to bore you with my technical details here, but the SmartyBot is really, from a technical perspective, super interesting. It's a true playground for tinkerers and makers. If you like to see how it looks, then please just head over to kidslab.dev in your browser and check out the episode blog post. Please welcome Ross Atkin, a designer and engineer based in London and of course the creator of the Crafty Robots and the Smarty Bots. So welcome Ross. Thank you so much for having me. So Ross, I think you have to give us, give us a little bit of a history lesson. So we know that you've created the Crafty Robots, that's really multiple robots and also the Smarty Bots. Can you quickly tell us in a couple of sentences, how did that all happen? How did your passion for, for robots and education really start? So I work, as a, I work as a design consultant, I guess. And most of the stuff that I work on is, uh, or a lot of the stuff I work on is to do with assistive technology and to do with infrastructure. And it's very, very, very slow moving world. And um, I, I guess I wanted an outlet to work on projects that um, moved much quicker and got out into the world much quicker. And I started going to maker fairs uh, because my wife was involved in um, kind of maker type activities. And I, I really loved the maker fair. And I thought it would be really cool to have something to bring here and to, to, to be part of this world. And that's sort of what got me thinking about making things to help people make things. I guess I've always felt like I was really, really lucky um, growing up 
to be encouraged to make things by my dad. And I feel like that really set the course of what I ended up doing. And I think if I hadn't had that encouragement, I wouldn't have ended up working as a designer. And I think it's a really, it's a real privilege to do this, to do this job, but it's not something that really is addressed within the education system. And so you kind of, if you're going to get these skills, you sort of have to get them outside of school. And I realized that if you haven't got someone in your family who has those skills, it's not necessarily that easy to get them. And so I thought if I make products that help people do that, then we can actually make quite a difference to a lot of people. So we're really trying to fix the education system with the smarty bots. Yeah, maybe it's not fix the education system, but I think it's like it's it's do so something that the education system doesn't do, I guess. And I think, you know, fixing the education system to make it do that is difficult, right? And in a way, it's a lot easier to to try and make things that supplement what the education system does do and to try and try and make them work in settings outside of education, formal education. But um I'm, you know, I'm also conscious that if you make something that works well outside of education, there's no reason to make it that it wouldn't work in education. But I think that um, with a lot of the products that are aimed kind of primarily at schools, particularly, I think it's it's hard then to make the transition out into, you know, oh, this is actually something that's fun and that I want to kind of play with and use. Whereas I think if you've made something that's fun and I want to play with the news and I'm happy to receive as a gift, then it's a lot easier to go into a school. <laughs> Does that make sense? That makes total sense. So let's uh, speak a bit about the smarty bots. So for, for me as a geek, it's really the, it's also for me as an adult, actually, it's a perfect toy because it has so many bells and whistles, right? So, um, Can you give us a little bit of the reasoning why the SmartyBot has so many cool features? I mean, you just you don't only have buttons and LEDs, but you have like four motor outlets, right? And you have capacitive touch and lots of servo connections. So what is the reason really behind so many, especially motor outputs and so many connectors and 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 bells and whistles, basically? So Well, yeah, I mean, I guess the main the main thing we were trying to do was the motors, really, I suppose. And what I was really focused on doing was trying to make a single piece of hardware that allowed you to build really, really fun things that moved around, I guess, and that mainly robots and vehicles and stuff. But um, And I felt like a lot of the things that are out there at the moment don't do that. In fact, nothing out there really does that with a single piece of hardware. You have to take something that's got a microcontroller and maybe something else that's got Bluetooth and then something else that's uh you know that can do the high current outputs for the for the DC motors and something else to control the servos. And I realized that, you know, actually if you put all of that on one board and take that complexity of worrying about connecting all these different electronic modules together, then you make something that's appealing to a much wider set of people because it's not just the electronics geeks that are interested. It's people that are much more interested in like mechanical design and um, making things with their hands than are included because all they've got to worry about is housing this one board and making sure that everything that they want to connect to it can be connected to it. And then I guess we put a lot of motor outputs on because I thought I don't want to limit the complexity of what people can build. Um, and actually, you know, the expensive bits of the board are not those motor connections really. And so it's sort of like, 
you know, you're paying for this thing anyway. We might as well make it as useful for you as possible and give you as much headroom as possible to, to, to build stuff. And I think to me, that was what was really, in terms of design, that's really what I was trying to do was to, to create something that out of the box gave you a really nice experience. And so if you got it as a Christmas present and you weren't very interested in becoming an engineer, I guess, or being super creative, you could just build it and have fun with it. But that gave you this, an enormous amount of headroom to develop and to, to, and a lot of creative space to build what you wanted to build. I think you can use JavaScript. Um, it's using the Esperino interpreter to program it, but you can also just switch it to to a block based programming style. Yes, and I mean that's um, you know we were. I knew that I wanted to be able to program it with a blocks editor and with a with a scripting um, language. And originally, we were trying to work with Microsoft to get compatibility with MakeCode, but they ended up not being able to support us at the time where we needed to ship. And so we ended up, you know, looking for something else that had similar functionality, which, which we could get support for. And um, actually, Esperino proved to be a really, really good fit because, um, A, it's like actual JavaScript, which I think is really nice. I think because I think it's nice to be teaching people a language that they can actually use for lots of other things as they develop. I think it's, you know, that it's really nice to have a pipeline where we're actually teaching you proper programming that you can use rather than toy programming, I guess. But I think it's also really important to have the blocks editor because as a kind of introduction to programming, I think that's really important. And the other thing I think um, we've done quite nicely, I guess, and what I'm really happy with with the, with the product is the kind of interface between our app and the Esprino programming and the fact that in our app you can assign arbitrary um, bits of text to like the buttons that you create in the control pads. And so then you can write functions in your firmware that you're writing onto your smarty bot that you're then calling from the controller that you're designing in our app. And um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of space there to to make quite cool things. And and it's kind of like you know time to populate all the tutorials for all of the things that I know you can do with it, but I haven't had time to kind of explain to people yet. <laughs> Cool. So you just um, spoke about the app. Uh, I think the app also has this UI builder where you can just drag some controls into the UI and then you wire it up into the the, the functions of the board. The thing that's the other thing that's nice about the UI builder, I guess, is that you can you can create your own UI and then you can map directly to the different motor outputs on the on the board, and you can do all that within the app. So you can actually build something quite complicated from the perspective of a kind of a robot or a vehicle. Uh, that you're controlling yourself that has lots and lots and lots of degrees of freedom, lots of motors, lots of complexity, but you can, um, you can design the whole thing and effectively program the whole thing without actually needing to do any programming. If you don't want to, it can all be within the app. And so again, I think we're, I'm hoping that we're addressing the needs of a different group of people, people that are much, again, the people that are much more interested in the making and less interested in the programming. And I think then there's also the AI mode. So what does the artificial intelligence mode do? We were very excited when we realized um, how far the ability of smartphones to run relatively complicated machine learning models uh, on their own processes had come. And we realized that as we had a, a robot that was connected to an app, there was this really great opportunity to allow the robot to have that kind of intelligence. And all we needed to do was attach the phone to the robot. And so... Um, We on iOS we use a ML model called um, Tiny Yolo, 
which is this kind of incredibly high speed uh, classifier and it can it can pick out about 20 different um, types of object like dogs and cats and people and cars and motorbikes and stuff and um, and it can do it really 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 fast and fast enough that um, you can actually use it to control your robot basically the the app sends what it's seen and where it's seen it on the screen to the robot and then in the firmware on the robot you can define how you want it to to behave and uh, the default firmware it ships with it just chases whatever you've told it to chase but you can program whatever behavior you want so you can actually build a quite you know a sophisticated degree of responsiveness into the robot with conditional behavior based on what it can see and where it can see it um, in Android, it, it works in a similar way, but we're using um, TensorFlow Lite. And so we have actually a much larger group of classifiers, but it runs a bit slower. That's really brilliant. So you can more or less use this to, to explain what AI is capable of. Exactly. And in terms of how we were trying to design the AI experience, um, I was very, very keen that uh, we, we kind of package it up in a way that helps people understand how it works and what it's doing. And I think that there's a big problem generally with the way that a lot of AI systems are designed and communicated, that they're, they're presented as kind of black boxes, right, or, or magic. Um, and neither of those things help you understand how it works and what it's doing. And that then means that we're very, very badly placed to have kind of the conversations we need to have about how we're going to use AI and, and what's acceptable and what isn't acceptable, you know, if people don't understand it. And so we were very keen to kind of show the working, I guess, show the pipes so that when people mess around with the robot, they really understand, you know, what the AI is doing. And, and in a way, most important thing is sort of seeing, you know, when it's working right and when it's making a mistake, because it does make mistakes all the time. And when you're like voice assistant makes a mistake, you can't really understand how it's made that mistake. But because we show you what the AI can see on the screen, you can see what it can see and then you can see its layer of interpretation. So you can see the box it's drawing around it and what it thinks the box contains. And then you can see the coordinates that it's then sending to the robot. And then you can see how the robot's behaving. And so, you know, you can see what it's perceived. You can see what it thinks it can see and you can see what the response of the technology is, I guess. And in a way it's that it's not being able to see those links that make the other kind of AI systems quite incomprehensible i think i really like that so on the website of the smart the smarter website you have tons of cool tutorials and i, I really uh, dig a little, little bit into it and you have for example a tutorial around turning a pineapple into a robot right or a milk bot so um what are the, the cool tutorials that you would like to mention that people should definitely try out <laughs> we just did one um, like last week that I'm quite pleased with because we made the first Smarty Bot that can fly or the first one we've done, which was a, a, a Smarty Blimp. Um, but it actually, I wasn't sure it was going to work at all, but actually it worked really nicely and it was really fun flying it around. So we just used two, two relatively large helium balloons and we used some little um, fan motors and some some servos and um, and and the whole like kind of, chassis fuselage thing was just made of some bamboo skewers so it was really really quick to make and we did a little um we did a little paddle boat made of like a tupperware lunchbox um and 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 some plastic spoons and then literally everything else was straight out of the smarty bot kit 
And again, that worked out than I thought it was going to. And so I guess as, as like RC models, I think both of those were quite successful and, and quite easy to make. And then I think in terms of programming, there's a very detailed tutorial on how to program different behavior from the AI using the blocks. And I think that's quite cool because effectively, you know, we've taken this, what is basically a cutting edge AI and then kind of given it to you in a way that you can program your behavior with, with blocks like scratch basically. And, and I think that's pretty cool. So I also noticed there's a lot of 3D printed material up on Thingiverse, which is a great platform for downloading all kinds of 3D printed objects. Is that something you want to point out that's especially cool that makes just sense to kind of combine it with the smarty bots to have some fun with the kids, for example? The stuff that's up there that's 3D printed has basically been made in response to requests or things that I felt like I've needed to do. So like uh, someone wanted a smaller chassis that they could, someone wanted a plastic chassis that they could print on a small 3D printer because that's what they had in their classroom. And they wanted a plastic chassis because they wanted to use the smarty bot in the classroom. And um, they wanted something more durable than the cardboard for like getting thrown around the classroom and getting thrown in boxes and things. And so I did that and that made sense. And then um, there's a, a little um, kind of racing car thing that I made basically as a result of playing with other smarty bots I'd made with, with uh, our baby. And I kind of like worked out all of the like baby attack vectors and then designed them all out on that one. <laughs> so I made what, what I considered to be a kind of a thing that I could play with with the baby and he couldn't like pull any wires out or you know or, or break it basically and that has actually proved really successful so like we still play with it quite a lot and, uh, and i made quite a few of them yeah so it's it's really outcome of the smarty bot community then right that you that we find in thingiverse then yeah i am adding more and more of those 3d printed ones i mean in a way for me i'm trained as a mechanical engineer and as a, and as a product designer and so it's like it's it's very natural for me to to be kind of doing CAD and, 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 and I've got a 3D printer and to be 3D printing things. But um, I'm, I'm kind of, at the moment, I don't, I, I would like to put some educational resources together for, you know, curricula involving the SmartyBot and 3D printing. But um, I'm still, I still don't know enough about how CAD is used in schools to be able to do that, I guess. Because um, I'm very proud of, we put together a really, really nice set of resources for doing cardboard modeling and building smarty bots uh, with cardboard modeling and then doing a kind of like battle bots robot wars type challenge with them and um, i think that's a really really nice resource um, for people to use in schools and um, i would like to be able to provide a similar resource to do with 3d printing but i need to learn more about about the kind of what cad packages people are using in schools and what level of capability i should expect from Uh, from the kids kind of before because it's like a, a, a tutorial resource that teaches you how to use Fusion 360 in the process of making a smart bot is kind of a massive amount of work I guess. In the last episode we covered 3D printing I just wanted to quickly point that out so if someone's listening and got totally interested in 3D printing and maybe do printing something for the smarty bots it's episode number three about the sculptor then I would have one final question for you pretty much so you're based in the UK And I really like to ask people about how does STEAM education work in the UK? So is this already part of the curriculums, for example, um, or is it just beginning? What is the state here, basically, when it comes to STEAM education in the UK? 
this subject in the UK called design and technology for a very, very long time. I mean, I'm whatever, I'm 37 and I studied it when I was at school. And, I, and, and to me, I loved the subject. And again, you know, the, that's the other part of the equation, right? I was really lucky to be encouraged by my dad when I was really small. And I was also really lucky to be able to study the subject at school. But it's not a subject that that many people study. It, it was for a while in the national curriculum and, and all schools had to offer it up to at least um, 16, I think. And um, all kids had to study up to 16, actually. And the present government that came in in 2010 decided that they weren't going to do that and they decided they wanted to like reorient the British education system against what they around what they considered to be academic rigor and so they sort of reduced the number of subjects that they deemed important down to like English maths and science basically and um, consequently DT is collapsed basically and so there are about half or less than half of the departments operating in schools that there were five years ago and um so it's sort of in a way it feels like in lot in the rest of the world it feels like this is something that is really hot and people are kind of building up resources in schools in order to be able to teach in the uk it feels like actually we've we're going backwards um and I mean, I think partly it's like there's DT has some kind of cultural baggage, I suppose. Um, and it's perceived to be like a, a kind of more of a manual kind of thing and less to do with like whizzy computers and, and the future of technology. But to me, that's a problem with people's perceptions. And there's no reason why the subject shouldn't be encompass all of that stuff. And again, at the same time as they killed the subject, basically, the government decided that they really wanted to encourage people to do coding and computing. That's really a tiny bit sad because there's so many awesome projects coming out of the UK, right? I mean, there's a SmartyBot, obviously, but I mean, the super well-known microbit, the Raspberry Pi, they're all coming from the UK, right? So I would, I would have hoped that um, the UK is a bit more leading in this area. In a way, this is, again, this is coming from where I'm coming from, right? And 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 then I guess that's what I'm trying to say about what I'm what I'm trying to do with the smarty bot, right? Is that I don't see a distinction between making things with your hands and making things with technology. I see it as exactly the same thing. And that's and I've tried to build the smarty bot as an embodiment of of that view, I guess. I think that the those other products have been created by people that want to teach people about coding. And they've like made something physical because they think that that makes coding more fun. But fundamentally, they're coding people, right? And what they're interested in coding and what they think people need to know is coding. They don't like they view the whole making with coding as a way of getting people into coding, not as the actual result of what they're trying to teach people. Thank you so much for this interview. I enjoyed it a lot. Um, I wish you all the best with SmartyBot and hopefully also with. Uh positive uptake of the UK education system. Thank you so much for being on the show. No, thank you. Um, yeah, I've really enjoyed it. Alright, this was a lot of info about the SmartyBot, the way it's being programmed, the AI mode, and we also talked a bit about the UK education system. 
I hope you enjoyed this episode. Now it's the time to head over to kidslab.dev, check out the show notes, and please subscribe if you haven't done so. Also keep the feedback coming either via the website, that's again kidslab.dev, or via the hashtag kidslabpodcast on Twitter. Next up, we'll be talking to Jens Mönig. He's one of the technical masterminds behind Snap, a visual drag-and-drop programming language. <laughs>